Dad's Daughters podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Jessica Cade and I am the author of the romance novel A Girl's Guide to the Outback and my co-host is the New York Times best-selling author of The Wedding Dress, Rachel Houck, whose latest book is out now called To Love a Prince. And today, guys, is a really special episode. Normally, we are going episode by episode through the beloved TV drama McLeod's Daughters, but over the next two episodes, we have something very special to bring you, our interview with the showrunner and producer of McLeod's Daughters, Posey Graham Evans. So part one is this week, part two is going to be next time. Hope you guys enjoy this. We talk about all sorts of things from where the ideas for McLeod's came from to a big update on what's happening with the new project that's coming about soon. So lots of juicy behind the scenes information. Hope you guys really enjoy it. So I created the concept. And oh, I wow. The whole thing. And 224 episodes. And um, Wow. So are we ready for this? Next year is the 25th anniversary of the pilot telemovie we made, which starred two different actresses, Australian actresses and an actor called Jack Thompson, who's relatively is is a star here he's pretty well known for stuff overseas but i guess not so much in america anyway yeah he played jack mcleod it was the highest rating australian telly movie of all time and the network still didn't want to make it because it was terrified that it wouldn't work as a series this is so cool because i was reading about you and i just didn't associate the names okay keep going i'm so excited (laughs) no that's okay and um so they sat on the pilot and because this is so next year is the 25th. So it was 1996, right? So bear in mind at that time, you really never saw women at the centre of the screen in television. You really didn't. And um, so they were very nervous, A, that we'd get enough story material for a series, but B, that people would accept it. Very mm. conservative. Um, television in Australia has always been enormously conservative. So that was very difficult. Finally, we got it up. I went, I flew to New York just before December, but before Christmas, December of the year 2000, with the guy who is now the head of the network, who was then the head of legal. And we did the rounds and we found the last bit of investment we needed to make the series happen. It was also the same week that my then New York publisher said I had a three-book deal, Simon & Schuster. Wow. The first book delivered like the end of that, year coming i swear to god sorry about this but i flew home on that plane drunk because <laughs> you were so, so happy <laughs> i waited so long to get mcleods to happen and yeah so um that was pretty difficult and um so we finally got it away we had the house because we we the same house had been used in the telly movie in 96 mm-hmm. and in 2001 when we started shooting Yes, so we just moved in. We had a back lot. We didn't build one set. Oh, I guess we built the Shearer's quarters physically on that place and we put the windmill up. So that was the extent. We didn't have a studio. We just shot 100% location, animals, weather, whatever. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, we were nuts. (laughs) But I I just knew it was the only way it was going to go. And if I had to build sets, that was going to add so much money to the budget. And the nearest studio was an hour away. It was too hard. We had to do it. Mm. And, and it looks good. It makes it look authentic, doesn't it? I think it looks extremely authentic. I absolutely love it. I mean, that's, for me, a, a huge appeal of the show is that whole setting. 
and you hear their boots on the floor. That's a you real do. Floor. It's not. It's not added in post. So you hear when they go up the stairs. It's wooden, and you know when you're out in the shearing shed and etc. So um, it worked out for us. It made it very difficult. We had a wonderful crew who stuck with us to the last. The wrap party was something else. We did it in a paddock. Uh, near the homestead, we had the guy who, by that time, uh, our second horse master, who brought the horses down. It was the most wonderful night of my life. It was absolutely, I mean, you know, we were all exhausted, but it was pretty good. Um, but, you know, we went to air in August 2001. Mm-hmm. And as you know, um, 2001, 9-11 happened. Not even a month after we first started shooting. Mm-hmm. And that was an extraordinary thing because we, well, we were all astonished. And we'd been standing on the set on the day that 9-11 happened. We'd been standing on the set with 40 journalists from all over the world. And immediately those poor people who lived in America, because it was on the Hallmark Channel, uh, it was Hallmark who put the last bit of money in to make it possible. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That does not surprise me. Way to go, Hallmark. It has that. I, I can see the appeal with Hallmark into this show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was amazing. They came in and it made it happen. But anyway, so we were standing on that set with all those journalists and they were all on their phones trying to get home. And mm-hmm. all the airports in America had shut. Mm-hmm. And America, of course, is a great hub for a lot of people who fly from Australia. You fly into America, wherever, and then you go on to Europe or the other way around. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was, it was horrific. But for the show, I still, I, I think about this, but I was told this by someone who was watching it in America. And this is some years ago. And she said to me, look, People wanted to know that human beings were still good and that there was a place where people behaved decently to one another. Mm -hmm. So we suited the times because we turned out to have, you know, you can't tell. How can you tell before you make something? You know, you live with something longer than some marriages, let me tell you. (laughs) <laughs> Not my case, touch wood, but, um, but, you know, <laughs> what keeps you going is some sense that it's going to work. And so you go through all the horrors that you have to go to trying to raise the money and convince sceptical people because they're always terrified of something they've never seen before. And that remains the case. And um, we just somehow had that collection of things that spoke to people. And it went like a bushfire all around the world. Do you know, you might not know this, but on Instagram the other day, Simone sent me on, Simone's Jade McKinnon, who plays Stevie Hall, Mm -hmm. sent me on one of her Instagram fans who had said, I can find it, who said um, that we were trending number three on Amazon Prime about two weeks ago. Can you believe that? Twenty after your show launched. That is phenomenal. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. Where is it? Um, hang on. Oh, don't tell me I've lost it. Anyway, I can find it. I'll, I'll see if I can. What? Anyway. Um, yeah, truly. That is bad. I believe that the show is full of hope. And, and really, we are talking a lot about shows that demonstrate strong women and women-centric 
And, you know, we love these girls, um, these young women, these women who are running this ranch and we love the, the competition with the boys next door. And I do think it does have a lot of hope to it. And I know I've told people, I'm watching McLeod's Daughters and they check it out and they go, Rachel, thanks for recommending it. It's so good. And there is that, I think we've had similar shows here in the States with, you know, families on ranches, kind of this back to the earth, back to everyday living, back to family. We really need that today, I think. Well, I, I you know what, I think that always people, see, McLeod's has been on air all over the world. And I mean all over the world. I get emails, I get, you know, personal messages on Instagram. I, I'll tell you a little story about Facebook versus Instagram, even though I know Instagram is now owned by Facebook. And I'll tell you about what happened when we were asked to do a reboot a few years ago. It's very, very interesting about stuff. But um, I think I'm a fatalist now because with what's happened with this virus all over the world, uh, McLeod's, by word of mouth, has had the most mighty resurgence. Wow. There was, a, there was a competition in Australia a few weeks ago, which was called the Great Aussie Binge, which was people all over Australia voted on what they were watching when we were locked down as a country. And McLeod's, it was a four-week voting period, McLeod's went to the front, held the lead, lost the lead one week, got it back the next week, and uh, we beat everything. And in Australia, and, and I can't believe it. I mean, this is McLeod's. It's so extraordinary. How do you know? But so that was astonishing. So that made me go ping. Fascinating. And then another thing happened. It was our 60th year of television in 2016, which was the 15th year anniversary of when we gone to air. Viewers all over Australia voted McLeod's the number one show of all time. <laughs> now you kind of go, you What? I mean, that's a lot of television. It's like I, 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 I still sit here with shivers going down my spine. I just, I think, what, what does that say? Who knows? Probably, I don't know. But it says, to me it says, people need what is at the heart of that show. Mm, yeah. And it's such a loving family show, you know. It's about the sister relationships, sort of the surrogate mother-daughter relationships that all the different girls share with Meg and there's such a strong family centre at it which people seem to love. But it's our experience. The thing is, I, I, the other thing I think that McLeod's did, when we went into it really sure about what the funda- foundations were, I'd fought for that show for a long time. I wasn't going to let anybody take that away from me. And I ended up Good running for you. Up, for that network, actually, after we'd been on air for a couple of years because they thought I had the secret source. But this is a very masculine network, which is sport-focused. Hilarious. I actually love them. They're lovely people. They look like these... They used to. They used to all be eight feet tall and, you know, walk across the landscape so that the earth shook. And I come up to their knees and I'm a grandmother, you know, and it's like... (laughs) It's crap. It was a fantastic experience. But I don't know, half the human race has been ill-served, us women, for the longest time by television. You know, the stereotypes about women, the, the mom, babe, district attorney thing, it's fair. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's women, well, that's what Hollywood said forever, the three ages of women on screen, babe, mom, and district attorney. Bam, <laughs> yep. that's a lot. And it's mm-hmm. the men who carry the action and it's the men who save the girls. Well, look, there's lots of... 
I'm a romantic novelist in my other life. That's, I've written a lot of those kind of... I understand at, at a visceral level, I, I mean, you know, and I've lived a, a long time now, so I feel grateful to have experienced so many different ways of seeing the world. So it all adds in. But what I think we did with MacLeod's was half the human race in our little corner of the world saw itself up there and just saw itself as competent. Like, you know, we'd show Becky driving a truck. We never went, oh, there's Becky driving a truck. My goodness me. She Mm. just drove the truck through the screen, you know. So it was normal. And you saw them out there fencing. And nobody went, my Lord. We got lots of of, um, feedback from people going, you don't fence like that. And then I'd sit our our agricultural expert on them and make them have a dialogue. (laughs) So there's more ways to build a fence than you know, you know. That's awesome. But anyway, it was it was amusing and crazy and exhausting and passionate and it's still out there and I'm now having another go. Three years ago, 2017, I got hounded into having another go to make a series. It was not a good experience. So we walked um, and uh, because I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get killed unless I believe it's right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe it right, too bad because I'm not going to do it till I've got it. I've got creative control, and I, I, that's a big risk because it's just as likely that I'll get it wrong because people don't want change. And I know now that I'm writing, co-writing a script uh, with a lovely woman um, who knows this show almost better than I do. She can tell you the colour of the dress they were wearing in episode whatever. Um, but I mean, she and I have known one another for more than 20 years and we trust one another a lot and um so we're we're writing a script for a movie it's a movie and it's been a very interesting experience so far um and our relationship with the network is different because networks are all different now Mm -hmm. um but what's wonderful for us, for the movie, is that the man who came with me to New York to get the last amount of money, who was absolutely instrumental in, in, in because he was a young lawyer then, and he got McLeod's, and he was instrumental in, in turning the programming department around in that very conservative network to see what I thought we could do. So he's now running the network. I'm so. Nice. So it's, it's, I would never, never, never presume or anything, but I know, I know that he understands if it's going to happen, it's got to happen in a way that we all feel that we Mm -hmm. can make. That's what we want to do. Um, So yeah, we're writing and see that house on the screen screen behind me. That's in Tasmania. And it's not McLean, it's not Drover's Run. And um, because, of course, with COVID right now, mm. none of us know what's going to happen. No. So I've been driving around the countryside and I've been putting shots up on my Instagram um, uh, because I live in Tasmania. It's a little island which hangs off the bottom of Australia. Johnny, you're smiling. Um, Jessica's smiling. I mean, there's only 500,000 people in the whole island and it's the size of Ireland. And um, so it's still got lots of empty space and it's still got great big agricultural, we call them properties, you call them ranches, lots of ranches, whatever. So I have been 
I wasn't taking it seriously, but I started to think about if I can't go back, you know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And it's quite testing. And so this house is just an example that, that we had a very early colonial past here, as you did in America, Rachel. And yes. um, so there are a lot of, these are Georgian, that's a Georgian sandstone house. And the house at Kingsford, the Drover's Run, is 1850s. That's earlier. That's about 1820s. But there's places like that around the joint. And I just about drove off the road when I saw that. It's empty. I know. That's fabulous. I wish everybody could see, but it's this gorgeous, yeah, Georgian home with uh, like a turret on the back and four chimneys and a carriage house or something. It looks like what we would call yeah. a garage. But it's gorgeous on lots of land. Yes, I'm going to take a screenshot so we can share the image with yeah, our take a podcast listeners if they yeah. want to see the visual. What I can do is I can send you on. If Now, I'm not saying this is the house we're going to shoot. Mm. What I'm doing is I'm driving around, and it's for me, apart from anything else, I want to get back into those big landscapes. Mm-hmm. And yes. Australia, you know, there are very similar landscapes here. It depends where you go mm-hmm. on the island. The drier areas, which are in the central highlands, which is where this is, this house I'm pointing to on screen, mm-hmm. um, um, big, um, on my Instagram feed at the moment, there's one, a big pan across an enormous paddock with sheep in it running you know and little back roads dirt back roads and I think anyway I'm just this I'm using it for inspiration apart from anything else Mm. and um the cast my my my, I've got the most wonderful problem to have which is we we've got so many glorious cast Mm. and and when you're telling a movie it's a different beast from a series it's very different and you've got to distill the story down. It's like the Downton Abbey movie. Um, yes. Julian Fellows, who wrote that script, said the thing about it is, he used the word ruthless, I flinch from that, but you have to know what the story needs mm-hmm. and you cannot have one person more. You've got to have the right people on that screen. Mm-hmm. So, um, so is this movie going to be contemporary? Because the, the home behind you makes me think of Downton Abbey. And I was like, a, kind of a Tasmanian Downton Abbey. That would be fantastic. But I'm Funny sure you're doing... Funny you should say that. It's called the McLeods of Drover's Run, right? And McLeods is a Scottish name. Mm, so right. uh, it's, it's a part origin story. It's set in two times. It's set in the 1840s, 50s in Scotland, where we meet the McLeods and where they came from. Mm-hmm. We meet the drover. He goes home to his parents, taking his new bride with him. Um, and that does not go well. But he goes back. <laughs> of course. <laughs> with her. And um, so we are setting it into time frames. Um, and, and so, and I want to see um, some part of the building of the house, mm-hmm. the actual house nice. built. Now, that may change. I don't know. So it's, it's a bit nerve-wracking talking about the story at this very early stage because a lot will change. And the other thing is I know that people are out there with baseball bats. They don't want me to change a thing, you know. They just want <laughs> right. no change. So that's going to be a bit difficult. And one of the um, – uh, but I figure if I let people know what I'm doing, if, you know, via Instagram, if I just 
post once a week and tell people where I'm up to or put up pictures like I, that picture's up on Instagram, et cetera. So it's, um, it, it, it gives everybody a, a window into what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I really want everybody with me. <laughs> I don't want the baseball bats. I don't want to suffer. I want people to know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I think people would really be interested in the history of McLeod's Daughters and it kind of enriches, enriches the story. I write split-time novels. Oh, you so, do? Me too. Yes. Yes. So um, not my current one is not, but the, my last six or so have been. But I think that there's that idea of we want to see the past. It's, it allows us in a way to time travel, to, to be that, make that emotional connection with the past and the present. And I, I think that sounds really exciting, Posey. I think, I don't think there'll be any baseball bats on that one. Hey guys. So that was part one of our interview with Posey. Check back next episode to hear part two. See you later. Hey guys, just wanted to say a quick thank you to composer Bobby Abbott for our theme song. If you want to check out more about him, then you can go to Bobby Abbott Music on Facebook and that's Abbott with two B's and two T's. See you all next time.